Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. In a few weeks, it'll be time for the annual exodus of the lesser-spotted university student to begin the migration home for Christmas. But this year will be unlike any other. University students in England are being asked to return home for the Christmas break during the week after the national lockdown ends on the 2nd of December. The Department for Education says universities should stagger the departure of students to prevent the spread of coronavirus as they make their way home. A million students will leave the bubbles they've lived in on campus to travel across the country. The risk now is that when they go home, they take the virus and infect their communities. Can we bring them home safely? And in a year marred by a global pandemic, is the campus experience worth the risk? Those other lovely things that you do as a student where you explore your identity by doing lots of sports or drama, well, that is not possible at the moment, and it's very sad that it isn't possible. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, how do we get a million students home for Christmas? Last week, protests erupted at Manchester University as students who'd been cooped up in halls spilled out onto the streets in frustration. What happened was that overnight, metal fencing was erected around some halls of residence in Fallowfield in Manchester. And the first that I knew about it was when some students got in touch with the paper and were very alarmed and were saying, we've woken up and there's fences all around us and we feel like we're being penned in and we don't know what's going on. It's like a prison and please help us. That's Sean Griffiths. I'm the Education and Families Editor for the Sunday Times. She spoke to a number of students who'd made contact with a newspaper. It became clear that this fencing had been erected very, very quickly 
It did seem to be that it had been erected to stop students moving between the halls of residence, the different halls of residence. And of course, at that point, we had just entered a new national lockdown. And then how did that escalate? I spoke to students in the afternoon and they were already saying that uh, on social media there was talk of protests in the evening, even though, of course, the national lockdown had started in congregations of demonstrations and protests and so on and not allowed under the regulations. But that evening, hundreds of students got together with megaphones and placards and made it very, very clear that they were extremely unhappy. The students told Sean that they'd been given coloured wristbands to wear and they were going to be checked coming and going from their halls of residence. It felt like a prison and one they'd had to pay for. So that evening they were not prepared to tolerate that. Amid angry speeches and the waving of eloquent placards, the protests descended into violence. Angry crowds attacked the fencing, pulling it down and leaving a trail of destruction in their wake. What is interesting is that instead of there being a crackdown on the students and then being disciplined, the university actually listened to what they were saying. And the next day, there was an apology from the Vice-Chancellor, Nancy Rothwell, and they've launched an inquiry into who sanctioned this fencing going up. At Manchester, where despite the precautions, COVID-19 had also run rampant around the campus, student anger had boiled over. The protests were soon followed by a movement to occupy one of the residential buildings on campus. My name's Izzy. I'm a first year at the University of Manchester studying English and French. I spoke to one of the students taking part. I'm involved in the University of Manchester rent strike campaign and currently occupying the tower building on campus. So tell me, where are you now? You're in the tower. Can you describe it for people who haven't seen it before? Yeah, so it's like a large, almost looks like a council estate, a large block of residential student accommodation that's actually not used this year. And so we chose this to occupy, as obviously this year, you know, it's unique as university buildings aren't being used on campus. So there wasn't really much point occupying one of those. And it's quite a well-known building here in Manchester. And inside we've got a barricade at the door and then lots of space. Uh, we have the whole building, bedrooms, kitchens, all that sort of stuff. What's happening there? What's going on around you at the moment? So we came here to protest the lack of response from the university in light of uh, the actions of the University of Manchester Rent Strike Group. We're rent striking because the university has promised us face-to-face teaching and they promised us a safe campus and access to facilities which we're paying for, yet we don't have access to. Um, And on top of that, the entire treatment of the university towards its students who are paying outrageous sums has been really hard. Horrible lack of mental health support, lack of support in terms of maintenance, rodents, pests, all of that. And when we began to protest, we didn't intend for it to get this far. We hoped that they would, you know, perhaps talk to us and have a meeting with us. Yet that didn't happen. So we held various protests and then around 300 students didn't pay their rent on rent day. That was about three weeks ago. And the university still failed to communicate with us. And then on top of that, they brought fences onto our campus. We woke up one day and our entire campus was caged in, which really just felt like a kick in the face from the university in terms of mental health of students here on campus. You know, it's a hard time with coronavirus for anyone. And I think a lot of the students are very angry about that. So that's why we're occupying the tower. 
um, we've come in here and we're not going to leave until the university give us a meeting and agree to our demands. Do you feel that the university shouldn't have asked you all to come to campus this term? I think it's a difficult one. I think perhaps they shouldn't have. I think the bottom line is that they knew that there would be an outbreak. So whether they decided to bring us here or not, they should have prepared more. They brought us here and then they blamed us for coronavirus, for lack of social distancing. Whereas in reality, it's extremely hard to distance on campus. And when our flat did test positive, we got an email saying that if we didn't have a friend that could go do our shopping, that we should just wear a mask and go do it ourselves and that we should wear a mask and go collect our own post and wear a mask and go do our own laundry, which is not just unsafe but illegal, seeing as we had six positive coronavirus tests in my flat. And there's been a really big outbreak at Manchester, hasn't there? Yeah, there was a huge one. I think at one point Fallowfield, the area where our residents had had more coronavirus cases than half the countries in the world or something like that. We were pretty much left on our own. And it's not just the students, the staff as well. The university was still sending cleaners into COVID-positive flats and completely trying to hush up the situation of what was really happening here. What do you think they should have done better? I think they should have talked to us and treated us like adults. You know, we're paying insane amounts of money to be here. The rent prices have increased almost 4%, 5% since last year, yet we have far less access to facilities like communal areas which have been locked off due to coronavirus. I think the university should have perhaps offered a rent reduction in light of that, like Glasgow University did, and just offered more support. In terms of isolating students, there was no mental health support at the time. And in terms of mental health, I mean, you know, from what you're hearing from your friends and, you know, from what everybody's experiencing, what is it like at the moment? I mean, how how tough has it been? It's been very tough. As I said before, like moving to university anytime is an extremely challenging experience. And under coronavirus, that's even more. And the fact that like, I haven't left campus, I haven't been to the university buildings once. It's just a horrible atmosphere. I think one of the best parts has just been the student solidarity. We're not getting it from the top. We're not getting it from the university. But I think students have really been there for each other, which has obviously made it a lot easier. What is it like to be a student right now? Because, you know, everyone has these great memories of their time at university, but clearly what you're going through is so different. What what is it like day to day? What is it like to be a student on campus? I think it's difficult. I think we're having to deal with the responsibility of knowing that we shouldn't be, you know, socialising with each other and that we are in a pandemic. And also we don't want to, like, harm the community at all. That's no one's intention. At the same time, you know, say the majority of students here did have COVID and tested positive. And it's almost on us to have that responsibility to stay in our flats and not go outside and socialise, which I think is quite a lot of a weight to put on, like, 18-year-olds. Have students been thinking about giving up this year and, you know, waiting for next year? Yeah, a girl in the flat opposite me dropped out. I think there's been quite a few people dropping out. I think especially if you're not getting along with your flatmates and you're living in such a horrible situation with no one really to turn to. Do you wish you'd waited until next year? I'm not sure. I think with coronavirus... Whatever I did this year would have been altered by coronavirus and if I'd stayed at home, I might have similarly been finding it difficult with a lack of simulation. But I do wish, if I could go back, that the university would have you know, been a lot better and been a lot clearer. They promised us face-to-face teaching. And then on day three of week two, I think, they cancelled that. I haven't had a single in-person communication with the university. I think, yeah, I'd wished that the university would have been more clear about that. 
it does very much feel like it was a calculated decision to bring us here for profit. And will you and your friends be able to get home for Christmas? Well, that's another concern of ours, I think. First of all, it's hard for any young person to trust the government much at the moment, given the mixed advice the entire way through the coronavirus pandemic. I'm hoping I can get home for Christmas, but at the same time, the idea that there's a one-week window, that's three weeks before my actual term ends. And, you know, I can't study at home very well. And also, again, we'll be paying for an empty bedroom. The university hasn't suggested that they would let us off for rent or anything during that time. So I think, although I would love to go home for Christmas, another concern is um, that this whole new kind of scheme that the government announced the other day is just kicking the can down the road, like what's going to happen in January. It sounds like such an anxious time. For your generation, how are you being affected by this pandemic? How has it changed your lives? It's changed my life hugely. I, I was supposed to sit my A-levels this summer and then, of course, they were cancelled and then grades got downmarked. But, you know, it was supposed to be a summer of festivals and seeing friends and then going to university and meeting people. And I think one of the things is that, obviously, for our age group, there's a lot of responsibility on us because, you know, we can spread the virus, yet the actual risk to us is very low. You know, the number of deaths from my age group, 18, 19, 20, is extremely low. So I think... Our lives have been disproportionately affected by all this. And you mentioned earlier that you know you can't get part-time jobs to support yourselves. How do you view the future too? Yeah, it's extremely scary. The jobs market was already competitive. And with the recession, it's hard to tell if we'll get any jobs. It's hard to tell if places will be recruiting. It's really hard to tell anything at the moment. Obviously, that affects everyone. But I think as students, you know, there's already a lot of uncertainty. And... I think we've been put in a very difficult situation. Manchester University has apologised and promised an inquiry. The university said the fences were put up to help avoid the mixing of households. Manchester isn't the only university that's struggling with managing students during the pandemic. A senior member of staff in another university I spoke to that day was absolutely incandescent with rage that this had happened at Manchester and said that he was spending all his time trying to reassure students that, you know, the universities and students were on the same side and that they hadn't brought students back to campus just to make money out of them, um, that they, you know, they really had their best interests at heart and that what had happened at Manchester had really made that more difficult. That level of frustration and anger and, you know, the spilling out, was it a one-off or do you think that's sort of symptomatic of the tensions at universities across the country right now? I think at some universities it is symptomatic of the, of the tensions that are being felt by young people. Um, I spoke earlier this term to students at Nottingham Trent University and Manchester Metropolitan University. Both of those universities had big COVID outbreaks. In fact, there have been about 35,000 confirmed COVID cases in more than 100 universities since the start of term in September. When I spoke to them, they were first year students, they were locked down, they were in self-isolation, they were in small student bedrooms. I would say they were very, very frustrated and one of them was desperate for me to just carry on talking to them, that they were obviously desperately lonely, slightly hysterical. Yeah, and that was on about day five of a 14-day self-isolation period because somebody in their block had tested positive for the virus. And I felt worried for that teenager, actually, because he was a teenager, he was 18. And there's just no contact with the outside world? 
Well, I think there's social media contact, but yeah, they're very restricted in terms of going outside their halls of residence or getting any exercise. They were relying on deliveries of food from the university and they could socialise with people in their household, but often they hadn't met these people before. You know, these are first years who've just gone up to university at the start of term. I mean, there are definitely students who've just dropped out because they just couldn't cope with the pressures. I mean, take us back to the start of this, you know, the start of term. How did universities handle the return of students? Well, they encouraged students to come back. They said they would do face-to-face teaching with them. There was a push from the universities and colleges union for students not to go back to campus and for them to have online teaching, largely from home. But that was rejected by the universities and they offered what they called blended learning, which is a mix of face-to-face teaching and online learning. I mean, there was a lot of worry at the start of term about what would it mean if more than a million students started, you know, crossing the UK to go to university. So there was a lot of anxiety about what would that do to the infection rates at the start of the autumn. Scientists warned that there was going to be a spike in infection rates. They knew from what had happened in American universities that this was very likely to happen. And that is what happened. Um, And so almost immediately, there were big outbreaks in different universities and students got locked down. I mean, I've spoken to many students who now feel that they were brought back because universities wanted their fees and they wanted their rent. Really? Yeah. They haven't felt the benefit of being there. The students I've spoken to, even the ones who are glad that they're on campus, because, you know, what's the alternative? Being in your bedroom at home, studying online? Well, that's not very attractive either. Even those students who are glad that they're at university do wish that universities had been more transparent on the whole, had been more honest about what what it was going to be like this term, how many hours of face-to-face teaching they would get, and whether there would be any social activities at all, you know, the kind of student experience that probably you and I enjoyed. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, such a big part of university life, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Sean has been in touch with a young woman named Darcy Edkins, who's a third-year student at Warwick University. She's recorded her thoughts for us on what it's been like to be a student this year. Having spent more than six months living at home with my dad in Essex, I was very anxious to return to university in September. For the first few weeks of term... Things felt surprisingly normal. I was lucky enough to be living with four of my closest friends at university in a private accommodation in the neighbouring town of Leamington Spa. But when lockdown was announced, it became more complicated. And so now is the time to take action because there is no alternative. When the time came, my entire flat crowded in front of the television to watch the Prime Minister's speech. From Thursday until the start of December... You must stay at home. It was a surreal experience and certainly one I will never forget. You may only leave home for specific reasons, including for education, for work. Let's say if you can. As students, we were confused as to why universities would remain open and that a process of blended teaching would continue at the University of Warwick. This meant that despite not being able to mix with other households, we would continue to have in person teaching. While I appreciate that the university wanted to maintain a sense of normality about the situation, I found it a very difficult pill to swallow. If you're in student accommodation, you 
you end up in a bubble with you in your household and that depends how big that that household is um so it could be six people you know you'll be sharing a kitchen and maybe a bathroom and you can socialize within that bubble what you're not supposed to do is cross over and socialize in it you know with a flat across the way or another block of flats you're certainly not supposed to have illegal parties all the bars are closed all the sports facilities, the gyms are closed and they will be now until until December the 2nd and the national lockdown ends. And that is what it's like at the moment for students. It's very, very restricted. We'll have more on this story in just a moment. But if you want to access more original investigations, you might want to subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times. If you join today, you'll get one month free. Search online for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Just from memory of being a student, I imagine they must be finding ways around it. Oh, yes, I think I think many students are finding ways, ways around it. There have been some students fined, you know, £10,000 for having very large illegal parties. But even the ones I speak to, they're like, there is, you know, the block of flats across the road. We do pop across there now and again. You know, so I think I think they are being, you know, they're being less than rigorous with the rules. But then, you know, I think many, many people are being less than rigorous about the rules. They feel if they've been made scapegoats and, and stigmatised um, and students have been blamed for the rise in infection rates. For all the policies that universities have put in to try to make it possible for students to come back, I mean, have they worked? Do we have an idea of the number of... COVID cases at campuses since the start of term? Yeah, we think there have been about 35,000 confirmed COVID cases across more than 100 universities since the start wow. of term. And the risk now is that when they go home, they take the virus and, and infect their communities. That may be one reason that we've had this four-week national lockdown, because it, it doesn't seem to me a coincidence that students start to travel home now for Christmas at the very end of this lockdown. So the lockdown in England ends on December the 2nd and there is a student travel window from December the 3rd to December the 9th. And the government has said in in guidance it's published today, they're hoping that infection rates will be low at the end of the lockdown so that, you know, the risk of students 
transmitting the virus as they travel home will be smaller. So talk us through that. How do you get a nation of students back home for Christmas, given the difficulties at the moment? How will they do it? So the lockdown will help. What is being offered to students is the chance to take a test between November the 30th and December the 6th. And that is a test where they can test whether or not they are infected. And if they are infected, then they would have to self-isolate for 10 days before they could travel home. If they are negative when they are tested, then they will be able to travel home from the 3rd to the 9th of December in that travel window, and then they will be home for Christmas. So that's how it is supposed to work. There are, of course, difficulties with, with all of this. What universities cannot do is, A, make students take the test. It's completely voluntary. Mm. And I have spoken to um, academics who have kids who are students who have said, well, I'd certainly tell my son to think rather hard about taking the test because if they're positive, they'll have to self-isolate for two weeks. Um, really? So, yeah, yeah. And I think I think we don't know what the take-up rate uh, for the testing will be. But... but So they are allowed to leave without having had a test? Yes, they are allowed. I mean, one of the vice-chancellors said to me, we are not jailers, we cannot lock students up and we cannot make them have a test. There are civil liberties issues. There is no legislation requiring students to have a test. And... Testing is voluntary. Gosh, but it's funny that they're worried about having to self-isolate, but clearly not so worried about taking it back to to infect their families. Well, I think they are. To be fair to the students I've spoken to, they are. They all say we don't want to infect our families. But I guess they think, you know, they haven't got symptoms. They're taking precautions, washing their hands. So it'll be very interesting to see what the take-up rate is for this voluntary testing. And then the second problem, I think, is that these lateral flow tests, which can tell whether a person has the virus or not. And some scientists are saying to me they do produce false positives. So that is also a bit worrying, I think. That's something Sean has been discussing with Neil Hall, a geneticist who's the director of the Life Science Research Centre at the Earlham Institute in Norwich. Giving people a negative result when they could be positive is actually can be worse than no test at all. If people believe a negative test means they don't have the virus, they behave differently. And tell me how the staggering system will work in terms of just getting people back so that you don't have a, a mass travelling at once. Well, I think universities are liaising with each other about that and they're liaising with organisations like, you know, FE colleges or schools, you know, because school children also use buses and things. They are liaising, I think, about dates and sending their students home over the period of that week so they won't all be travelling on a particular day. So hopefully that will work as well. But all of these things, I mean, this is a huge logistical operation and, yeah... Just hope it works. And the students you've spoken to, I mean, are they, do they sound keen to have a test? Most of the students I've spoken to haven't actually had a test unless, you know, they've had symptoms. And if they have a test and find that they're positive, do they have to self-isolate? Yes, if they test positive, they, they do have to self-isolate for 10 days. That is what they have to do. I mean, again, I don't know... This isn't, this isn't Wuhan in China. You know, there aren't going to be security patrols patrolling, making sure that the students stay in at all times. So it will be up to the students to a certain extent to obey those rules. Will it mean that staff have to work through the holidays too? I think that universities know that there are likely to be students 
this Christmas who will stay on campus over the vacation, either because they've tested positive or because they're overseas students and they can't get home. And I think universities are gearing up to look after those students. But what universities are hoping is that there aren't going to be too many of those students because they, they really couldn't cope if there were too many students who had to stay on campus. But I did speak to uh, one lovely admissions tutor who said to me, I'm dusting down my Father Christmas outfit. They are going to have a Christmas day like, like every other student who manages to get home if they're here on campus on December the 25th. <laughs> oh, I thought that's rather nice. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? Uh, have you spoken to students? I mean, are they, are they themselves worried about going home and, you know, inadvertently taking, taking the virus with them? I spoke to Darcy at uh, Warwick, who lives with her dad, who's in his 60s, when she's not at university, and she had been worrying about it. The uncertainty surrounding travel arrangements for Christmas also left me feeling very anxious. The thought of not being able to spend Christmas with my family made the decision to return to university even more difficult. Finally, on the sixth day of the second lockdown, the government announced its plans for students travelling home at Christmas. The student travel window between the 3rd and the 9th of December was announced, as well as mass testing across UK universities. But I think now that she's got the guidance, she, she, she thinks that it's going to be OK, she will get home for Christmas and it will all be safe. I felt relieved to finally have some clarity on the situation. My dad especially was happy to know that I would be coming home for Christmas. However, I still find it hard to believe that universities will have enough resources to test all students before they return home at Christmas. If that is the case, then testing must begin immediately. For now, the knowledge that I will spend Christmas with my family is a light at the end of a very dark tunnel. I think the guidance has reassured students to a certain extent. But I do think, I have spoken to scientists who have warned that they think there are many, many holes in this guidance. Neil Hall at the Ulam Institute at um, the University of East Anglia said he expects to see a catastrophic rise in infection rates at the end of the, the travel home period. Really? So where several million students all go back to see their families in different parts of the country, it'll have a catastrophic effect on transmission. A catastrophic effect? Going from an area where it was being transmitted in university towns where you have high levels of transmission and then you're moving all of those people to different areas of the country where transmission has been low and they're interacting indoors in households where we know that it's the highest risk of transmission with new people. So, you know, you don't have to be an epidemiologist to see how bad that would be. Right. I think it's, a, it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion at the moment. Why? What's that, what's that based on? Well, it's based on the fact that the testing is voluntary and we don't know how many students are going to take the tests. It's based on the fact that the lateral flow tests do have false positives. And it's just based on the, the, the sheer movement of the one million students travelling around. There are going to be spikes that they are going to carry, in some cases, the infection back to their communities. So what should happen next? Should, they, should students go back in the new year? I, I, that is the sort of $64 million question. I guess the question in January will be, what are the infection rates? Where are they at? What are the death rates from the virus? At what stage is the pandemic? I mean, you, you mentioned other countries sort of going to a more online system. I mean, are there solutions you're sort of seeing around the world which you think might help the system here? Well, I think moving online has been the big solution that many, many universities have adopted. I have a nephew, one who's studying at a university in Canada and another one who's studying at a university in New York. And both of them have been studying online in the autumn term. And is, is that, do you think, 
a temporary solution? I mean, obviously it's not the ideal university experience, but is that the safest way of doing it for now? It may well be. I mean, I think it's such a difficult dilemma because they've been really badly hit, the COVID generation, by this pandemic. And we know that, you know, mental health problems rise when children are lonely, when teenagers are lonely, when young people are lonely. So are they better off in university studying online in their rooms or are they better off at home, you know, being alone? I mean, you you know, you're right. It's really hard to tell for now just how much the, the COVID generation will be affected by this. But how have they been impacted so far by this academic year? Has it been quite damaging? I'm hearing that dropout rates will be much higher by Christmas this year than they were last year. And for every student who drops out of university, that is quite a tragedy. And it will take them a long time to recover their sense of confidence. They will be in debt. The tuition fees are £9,250 a year. They will have to pay those fees, even if they have dropped out. And they will feel like a failure. And there aren't many other options available to them. You know, there are far fewer opportunities now because of the pandemic for young people. Do you think the university experience is likely to be changed forever? I hope not, because I always felt with my university experience, I don't know about yours, Manveen, I always felt that, you know, it was fabulous to study English literature for three years, you know, what a delight. But what I really learned from university was how to be independent, how to live by myself and with friends, how to make friends and keep them, and what I was passionately interested in, which turned out to be journalism. That's what university at its best can offer young people is a chance to become the person that you can be. And those experiences and those opportunities and those friendships you wouldn't get if you just stayed at home and and took a job in the local firm down the road, perhaps. And I hope that doesn't go away. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the Education and Families Editor of the Sunday Times, Sean Griffiths. You can read more of Sean's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers today were Oliver Adamson and Brenna Daldorf. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Nicola Rawfast. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, you can send us an email by writing to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. We'll be back tomorrow. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.